Last week we saw the return of the ark to Israel. There had been an outbreak, probably a bubonic plague amongst the Philistines. They'd kept the ark for seven months. Then they sent it back. They sent it back on a new cart with two uh, cows. The Israelites had um, sacrificed the cows. Everything looked really good. And then uh, they had looked into the ark. And we're told in the passage that and this is where we left it last week, that 70 of them had died because they'd looked into this box. And of course, I made the point last week, there are only really three items in the box. There is the Ten Commandments, there's Aaron's rod, and there's the jar of manna. And it's the Ten Commandments, which basically, the point of the writer is trying to make is that when you stand in front of what God's law says, you can either stand there covered in the blood of a sacrifice, and for them, it was the sacrifice of an animal on that lid, on that mercy seat, or, for us, when we stand before the Holy God, we're either covered in the blood of Jesus, or in your own righteousness. And the point the writer wants to get across is, even in the Old Testament, they weren't making the standard, and death resulted. That's where we left it, and the immediate response of the Israelites was right okay the ark's back now what do we do with this box there is no Shiloh anymore Shiloh was the place where Eli the priest had conducted the ministry where the nation had gone to the tabernacle was there to make sacrifices and everything and everyone really agrees the commentators agree that Shiloh had fallen and been the tabernacle had been destroyed by the Philistines. So they can't send it to Shiloh, where it should have gone. They can't put it in a tabernacle. There is no tabernacle. So what do you do with a box that basically will kill you? A holy God. Well, let's pick up where they, what they do. They come up with a plan. So, so the men of Kirith Jerim came and took up the Ark of the Lord and they brought it to Abinabad's house on the hill and they consecrated Eliezer, his son, to guard the Ark of the Lord. Wouldn't you like to, th- to think what he must have thought about that? He knows 70 people have died. He knows that the law says there's certain ways of handling this Ark and it's in your house. It's a bit like an unexploded bomb sitting in your, in your front room. If you get it wrong... It's going to blow up. I bet he had a few sleepless nights. And one of the things he would have done, no doubt, he would have kept his walk with God straight. If the presence of God is there before you, then actually that's not a bad motivator to behave yourself, is it? And I was talking to Kay this morning. I said, I might just use this illustration. You know, yesterday was men's breakfast and... um, I don't often give my testimony. So I made a few notes, and as I started to write a few notes the other day, I noticed the notes getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and I thought, even I'd forgotten some of this stuff. And aren't we forgetful people? Or is that just me? I know it's not, because I know what's happening in most of your lives. We forget God. Many in the room have actually done that. I've done that. Isn't that dreadful? We forget God. In fact, it's a consistent story of the word of God. That Israel in particular, the Old Testament view, is that 
God came, rescued them, protected them, fed them. What do they do? Oh, well, I'll tell you what, we'll just ignore that and we'll go and find another way of doing it. I can stand before you as a very young 60-year-old. You stop laughing, Joshua. As a very young 60-year-old, and my testimony is this, I can't do life. I'm absolutely hopeless at it. I cannot do it by myself. It might have taken me quite a few years to learn that, but I don't want to run my life anymore. I'm really rubbish at it. Absolutely rubbish. However, to balance that view, if I understand what this book asks of me, tells me, gives me information, remember not just information but for formation, then I find life works. Let me clarify that. His definition of life working is different maybe to mine. It doesn't mean I never have a problem. That really is just selfishness. We live in a fallen world and we all have problems. In fact, I used Ron Block's testimony last week and he, sp- he spoke of peaks and troughs. And we will all encounter peaks and troughs. It's what we do while we're in both those situations. My life says this, most of the time when I've been on a trough, sometimes I've forgot God. There's not many times when I'm in the valley that I forget him. Actually, he's one of the things I reach for. So that sets the scene, where we we want to go. Verse 2. The ark remained at Kirith-Jerim a long time. Twenty years there. And then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Twenty years. I tell you, we are stupid as people. I don't know why God loves us. I, I really just struggle with that amazing fact that God loves people. Especially me. I know me. They've got the ark, the very thing that they thought guaranteed them success. They've stuck it away in someone's front room. 20 years. And then the penny begins to drop. And it does sometimes, you know. It can take a long time for believers to hear that penny drop. What do they do now? Samuel makes an entrance. He's been absent for the last three chapters. When we last saw Samuel, he was a young man. He'd he'd been brought up by Eli, the corrupt priesthood. He'd learnt the lessons. Israel began to know that Samuel could hear from God. And that when Samuel spoke, he spoke the word of the Lord. So now they turned to him. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If, for those of you who have listened to some recent teaching tapes, It will be if, perhaps you will, and perhaps you won't. But if you are returning to the Lord with all of your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. This is in the time period of the judges. The Philistines kept battering away at them, taking their crops, taking their families into slavery, capturing their cities. And all the time, if you read the book of Judges, God rescued them, then they would go their own way, then God would rescue them, God would, they would go, go alone without God. And the cycle repeated for a considerable length of time. We're coming to the end of Judges now. There's going to be a change. 
But he's saying if you're going to come back to God, then he will, almost like an obligation on God's behalf, when he recognises a repentant heart, something in God moves to come to his people. Something moves. But understand what the writer is saying. Repentance, turning to God, looks like something. It's not just words. It involves an action. Some of the action is inside here, but some of it is external. It's always the same. You can always tell when someone has repented in, in a biblical way. If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then you do something. Then rid yourselves. Do you know sometimes we have to rid ourselves of something to come to God. Something gets in the way of your relationship with God. And if it is, the onus is on you to get rid of it. Not him, on you to get rid of it. For them, it was the foreign gods of Ashtoreth and, and committing to the Lord. Ashtoreth and Baal, Ashtoreth is the female deity that they worshipped. And in that cult, it involved a lot of immoral behaviour. A lot of um, sex and just idolatry going on, going on. Very easy God to worship, something like that, isn't it? Perhaps that's just me. Doesn't ask a lot of you, just that you fulfil your own pleasures. And you know, Israel repeatedly had this problem. And will again. Baal was the male version of this. So you worship Baal or you worship the female version. And, and Samuel says you can't, you can't have all three. You can't have them and you can't have God. I challenge you today. Do you have any gods in your life? In our culture, let me say what they normally are. Materialism and self-pleasure. Materialism and self-pleasure. I've been there, certainly on, on both of them. And I shared a little bit at the men's breakfast yesterday. You want a different car? Get a faster car. You want a bigger car? Get a bigger car. You want a bigger house? Get a bigger house. And you end up working to fulfil your own desires. And that's an idol. It robs you of God, your relationship with God. However, and for me, do you know for me it took two heart attacks to get me, my walk right with God? Two, not one. Most people would have got the message after one. I was a slow learner. So, the Israelites put away their bowels and their asterisks and served the Lord only. You can't serve the Lord plus one. You serve him. You don't serve the church, by the way. You serve him. Whatever you do, you do it for him. Move on. And then Samuel said, he's going to call a meeting, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah. And I will intercede with the Lord for you. We're going to look at four names in this next passage. The four names, the first one being Mizpah. Let me tell you, you need a Mizpah in your life. You need a Mizpah. The writer is deliberately phrasing this stuff so that we can pick up on what's happening. I tried to put a map up, but I couldn't find one good enough. But Mizpah is just north of Jerusalem. And all four locations are close to Jerusalem. Within 20 miles, certainly. But what happens at Mizpah? 
When they assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. That's a difficult thing to understand. But in that culture, in that area, water is scarce and they're making like an offering before God. That's not the point. On that day they fasted and, they, and there they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. Now they've recognised God's man. And they're saying, right, okay, you can hear from God. What is God asking this nation to do? Let me clarify that. You can hear from God. You don't need me to tell you how to run your lives. You have as much of the Holy Spirit in your life as I have. Are you listening? Are you listening? They didn't. In that day, the Holy Spirit would come upon someone for a season... And, they, and obviously he had come upon Samuel as a prophet, so he was directing the nation. You cannot use that for a church leader to tell you what to do. It's just totally inappropriate. But they had turned to God, it looks like something, and now they're seeking God's guidance. God will answer. We don't have a mean God. If you really want to hear from God, he will speak to you. You can smile at that. That's really good news. That honestly, that is, think about what I've just said. He's not, he's not an idol. He's not, he's not something that's just a piece of wood. He's a living God who loves us so much, wants us to succeed in life. You can talk to him. You don't need anyone else. You talk to God. Well, it makes me smile anyway. All right, so there's a bit of a church service going on. A bit of an assembly of people. They had no weapons with them. You wouldn't have gone to that assembly with any, with any weapons. What happens? Look, the first thing when something is going right, you can expect the enemy to attack you. And some of you in this room have experienced that. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid. They were afraid. Of course you would be. Philistines have been battering you for years. You've got no weapons and they're coming to get you. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. They've got it now. It's not an ark, a box, a lucky charm. It's a living God. And Samuel is, is able to communicate with God. Instead of turning and running, instead of turning to fight... They've got on their knees. And that's a great place to meet our God. On your knees. And then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. That's what mispar is. Have a mispar in your life. The place of sacrifice. You know, at home, and I often say this, I meet God on our sofa. Don't worry. Even if we change the sofa, we'll still live at the same address. I have a place I go in the morning to meet God, and I talk with him. And I love it. I hear from God. It doesn't need to be fireworks going off or anything like that. Sometimes I just say in the morning... Will you just come and fill me today and help me live the life you want me to live? Help me be the person that you are creating me to be. 
And I just feel his presence. And it comes. My mispah. I remember, and it's strange, I know they're doing this in the, ch- in the children's work. I remember the cross. When was the last time that you got alone with your God and just remembered the cross and what it means? What it means to you and I? You know, we do communion, we can do it in church, and it can be gone in a couple of minutes, and it's just a tick. Why don't you try it in the morning? Just you and God at Mispah. Whatever your mispower is, have a mispower in your life. Let's see what happens when God answers. While Samson, sorry, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, that day, that moment, the Lord thundered, and I like this, with a loud thunder. Ever been under some thunder that's not loud? So this must be really loud. If God makes a loud thunder. And think about that. It might be bright sunshine. Probably is bright sunshine to be fair. Not a rain cloud in the sky. And there's thunder. You're going to be afraid. You really are going to be afraid. So he thunders against the Philistines. And he threw them into such a panic. That they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah. Pursued the Philistines and slaughtered them along the way to a point below Bethkar. God's not condoning slaughtering anyone. But he is saying this. When my people turn to me, I will answer. I will answer. They learned the lesson. They didn't. They were afraid, but they didn't panic. They turned to the man who could, could help them connect with God. They, they now have what I would term a theological view of life. Can I encourage us all, everyone in this room, to have a theological view of life? Not a self-view, not even a small view, but a view from God's perspective. He doesn't need our help. He can do all this. Actually, that's, that's maybe slightly wrong. They still had to do something. But he was moving, creating the panic, providing a way for them to do what they needed to do. That's our God. A theological perspective on life. Ron Block said it last week, viewing reality God's way. When we don't, do you know what? We get into such difficulties. We really can get into difficulty. Move it on. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. And he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. This is our second of the four names I want you to learn. Ebenezer. The place that he put a stone the last time Ebenezer appeared in the text was in chapter 4. It might even be the same town. In chapter 4, they brought the ark from Shiloh and they engaged the Philistines in battle, their way, using God as a good luck charm. And the name meant nothing. They lost the ark, they lost the battle, and they fled before the Philistines. But this time it means something. Have you got an Ebenezer 
in your closet to draw on. I've got loads. You know, when I did this talk yesterday at men's breakfast, I could still be talking today. Now, some of you will believe that. Oh, that struck a chord. We need Ebenezer's. We need Ebenezer's in our own walk. What's an Ebenezer? Look at the stone that he puts there. We touched on it briefly last week. I have got in my life stones, if you can imagine, where I know that I know that I know God moved. God moved. There is no doubt about it. God was there on that occasion. Move it on. God was there on that occasion. And you know, yesterday as I went back over my notes and I, and I looked at it, it was great to visit these places. It's really great to go back to your memorial stones. And this, you can think, yeah, I forgot that, God. Sorry about that. Actually, you were there. Life was pants. You turned up. Yeah. Have an Ebenezer. We know from other passages in the Bible, my favourite one is in Joshua, in Joshua. When he goes over the Jordan, he's told by God to pick up some stones and carry them to Gilgal. And if you read that passage, it's in chapter 4, it basically says, when your children ask, you bring them to these piles of stones and you tell them that God stopped the Jordan and that this nation came into this land on dry feet. That's our God. Do you know, if you've got kids, you want to share your faith with them. You want to, you want to grow them up and say, let me tell you, little Joshua, the day that I had an Ebenezer moment. Because if you don't, the world's going to say, this is all nonsense. We've got one shot at all this. And there are parents in this room. And you've, it's a great responsibility, you know. The Philistines went quiet now. It doesn't mean that they never attacked. We know from other passages that they do attack. But they never have victory while ever Samuel is around. And it gets even better. They get some of the, the captured territory back. The towns from Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. And Israel delivered the neighbouring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. It would appear from the text that they've signed a peace treaty. The country is fairly stable. When life is fairly stable, you're on... can be a bit shaky ground, really. <laughs> when things are going well. Samuel continued as, re as Israel's leader all the days of his life. All the days of Samuel's life. They're looking for him, for guidance, from direction from God. And as I've said, and I will say again... You can hear from God. I'm not directing your life, or Dawn's not directing your life. You direct your life with the Holy Spirit. Move on. Right. These are the other two names that I want you to, to take today. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. He's basically bringing them back to the word of God. To the law of God. He's showing them what is right. He's guiding the nation. But if you look at those towns, they're in the middle of Israel. 
And there's no way, I believe, Samuel only, only operated in the middle of Israel. What would be if you were in the tribe of Dan in the far north? You'd never know anything. So the writer has chosen these names deliberately and our ears need to prick up. Bethel. Does anybody know what that word means? No? We have done it in Bible study. It means house of God. House of God. In Hebrew, lots of the names mean something. And they give you a clue to what the writer is trying to say. So from year to year, he goes to a town called the house of God. Where does it first appear? Or where does the main part of all this come from? It comes from Jacob. Jacob leaves Israel to go and get his wife. And he stops off overnight at a place on the way. And he puts a stone down. And he puts his head on this stone. And he has a dream. And the dream that he sees is the angels ascending and descending. And he wakes up in the morning and he says this. I'm going to change this name of this place from Luz, L-U-Z, to Bethel. Because God's here. This is God's house. This is God's house. It's good to come to God's house. You're in it today. Smile, smile. You're in God's house. It's a good practice to come. Gilgal. What's Gilgal then? Gilgal's a strange place. Does anybody want to have a shot at it before I give you what Gilgal is? Gilgal is the first town that the Israelites go into when they cross into the promised land. You cannot advance your Christian walk without going to Gilgal. Gilgal. They bring the twelve stones from the river. They put them down they are now in enemy territory. The Jordan is released again. The water is flowing. We know from the season that it's high on the banks. The very town ahead of them is Jericho, the one that they feared the most when they went into the promised land. And the first thing God does, he says, right now, circumcise all the males. That would incapacitate you for a few days. You're in enemy territory. You are now 100% reliant on God. If the people in Jericho know what's happened, they would attack you. But God protects them. The other two things that he does, or the other thing that he does, he says this. That's a sign of the reproach that you came out of Egypt with. But now I want you to do the Passover. And he institutes the Passover again and it hasn't been done since the night they left Egypt. Forty years of no doing the Passover. It's a recommitment. You can't become a Christian. You can't have a Christian walk without a Gilgal. A place where you get alone with God and you commit to him. You commit to his ways. You rely only on him. This is good news, honestly. Don't get serious on me. This is really good. These are good things. Ebenezer, Mizpah, Bethel and Gilgal. They're there for a reason for us to get an insight to what God wants in our walk. 
Samuel, he always went back to Ramah. That's where his mum was from, although he'd lived at Shiloh. Ramah was where Hannah and her husband were from. And there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Wherever Samuel is going, he's worshipping God. All the time he worships God. What an example. What an example if that's what we do with our lives. Wherever we are. If we just worship God in church, you miss the point. You really have missed the point. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The one mistake the Bible records is this one. For him. The sons had no right automatically to follow in Samuel's footsteps. God had anointed Samuel. God had given him the ability to hear from him. And actually Samuel had demonstrated the commitment required. Samuel passed it on to his children. And it didn't go well. Move on. The name of his firstborn was Joel. And the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Bathsheba. The two biblical names... Yahweh is God, and the Lord is God, for these children. And you can bet that Samuel would have taught these kids everything about God. He's demonstrated it. He'd grown up as a, under Eli's ministry. He knew the right way and he knew the wrong way. But you know what? There's no guarantees your children get it. There is no guarantee, even when we get it right before the children... That they will be the people God wants them to be. They will grow up one day and they will make their own choices. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and they perverted justice. The cycle is repeated. That's exactly what Eli's sons had done. Eli's sons saw a bad leader and adopted the practice. Samuel's children saw a great leader and still didn't go God's way. Isn't that scary? Isn't, isn't that really scary as a parent? I've got a son who doesn't go life God's way. I've got two girls who do, but I've got a son. It breaks my heart. All I can do is pray. Every now and then have a word with him and encourage him. But he grew up in the same household. But he's making his own decisions. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. With a very kind word. They said to him, you're old. Don't do that to me. <laughs> or maybe you will. You're old Al, it's time to get a new pastor. You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to leaders such as all the other nations have. The wheels have come off. They've had a time of peace, prosperity, great leadership and they want to be like everybody else. Isn't human nature strange? Nod at me if you agree. Nod at me if you're human. Alright, the ones that didn't nod, you're lying. Appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. What's wrong with the statement? 
What's wrong? They are set apart. Excellent, Catherine. That's one thing that's wrong with them. They're not supposed to be like the other nations. That's what you mean by set apart. What's Absolutely. That's it in a nutshell. Do you know the other thing is they've already got a king? They've got God. Do you know you've got God, you've got a king, you don't need a man. They've missed the point. They want, they're going to put the trust in the wrong thing. They're going to lose the vision of what God had for them as a nation. Their role was to be a light to everybody else. Not to slaughter the Philistines, but to actually live like God wanted them to live, under his blessing and under his guidance. And then the Philistines would have said, we worship bits of wood. You know what? We want a, we want a bit of your God. We want to be like you. That's what we are. We are called to live differently. It's a massive, it's a massive responsibility, but a massive honour. God has chosen you to live and reflect him. Let me into, I'll let you into a secret, and don't take this the wrong way. I wouldn't choose you. Especially air. I wouldn't choose me. I wouldn't choose me. But God did. And he did it, and he, and he, there's no guarantees we get it right. They, he chose them and they get it wrong. We don't have to get it wrong. We can get it right. And when we get it right and we rely on him and we have those four things in our lives and, and the daily things happening, it won't get you through all life without any trouble. But do you know what? People will look at you. People will look at you and say, they're reflecting something that this world doesn't reflect. This world is just a Baal or an Asherah. But you w- reflect God. A living God where you can meet on your sofa in the morning. He can be in more than one place. He lives at 50, where do we live? 50 odd, 58, yeah. Well, yeah, anyway, I don't open the post. We live on West Street somewhere. So does God. Number seven. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they rejected. They rejected me as their king. Samuel was never the king. Samuel must have felt crushed He's, he's given his life to them. He got it wrong electing his sons to replace him. But there could have been others. But they want to be like everyone else. Fancy coming to the end of your ministry knowing that the people just reject you. Must have crushed him. You won't reject, will you? Let's see if we can move on. I want to go through this next bit quite quickly. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing it to you. Told you, human nature is strange. We can be the strange people. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly. Okay? You're going to get what you ask for, and you will get this in your life. If you ask for the wrong thing constantly, God will give you it. But I can warn you because it's in the Bible. Right? If you get it wrong, it's not his fault. But he will let you get it wrong. Watch what he says to them. Listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And Samuel told the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. I'm going to run through them, but watch what he says. 
This is what the king will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take. Right? Actually, it's already written in Deuteronomy. But he's going to take your sons. And he's going to make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to the commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And others to plough his ground and reap his harvest. And still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He's going to take something from you if you want this king. Let me tell you something, God never takes anything from you. God doesn't need anything you've got. He doesn't need anything. Do we have a God who's poor? Does he need your money? Does he need, you know, we have a God who allows us to give. That's not just money. I'm not after anything, but get, get this into your head. God isn't destitute. He owns everything. You're just passing through, you're just holding on to a bit. Earthly government will always take. We all pay taxes. Yeah? Don't even get me started on that. We'll move on. <laughs> Look, if you want a king, he'll take your daughters. Take, 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 take. And there are nine yours. So this king that you are wanting is going to take something of yours. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and the vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. God never did any of this, by the way. God blessed and he gave and he provided. But a king, he'll take them. He will take a tenth of your grain of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and the donkeys, he will take. You get the picture now, don't you? Okay. God's telling them, you want this, this is what will happen. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. Doesn't sound great, does it, all this? What would you think the answer will be? Oh, you've, so I, didn't, I was hoping verse 19 didn't come up, but... When the day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. You've asked for this. I've warned you what will happen. Do you want a king? The people refuse to listen to Samuel. We want a king. Don't you think that's strange? God warns ahead of time what the cost is going to be. I tell you, human nature, you can't fathom it out. If I was to put a, an application on it, I'm going to end on that passage. If I'm going to put an application on it, it's this. I can see people sometimes on self-destruct. You know? I've been doing it long enough now to know when people are on a course for self-destruct. I can, as a friend and as a pastor... Come alongside people and say, actually what you're doing is against God's word. It's up to them, then. Isn't that hard? It's not that I... I just want people to get it right. We all want people to get it right, don't we? I'll put, I'll put another spin on it. Do you remember at the beginning when Israel returned to God? That door is open. When we've messed up, 
we have the opportunity, but it looks like something. It's not just platitudes. It's an actual desire. All right, God. I'm returning. It looks like this. I'm getting rid of that out of my life. I'm stopping this. I'm going to walk properly from now on. But they don't. Do you know the wheels come off dramatically in a minute? And, and they always do. Hear what I am saying. They always come off. You cannot go through life as God's child being disobedient. He will not let you do it. Now that's scary. But it's there for your own benefit. He will take what the people think they know best. We don't know best. I want to end on a positive. I end with my favourite. No easy shortcuts. You've got to learn what's in this book. Smile. If you haven't got one, I'll buy you one. Right? If you don't like reading, learn to read properly. Ask God to uh, anoint you. To encourage you. How will you know what he wants without knowing this book? It's just not possible. And then when you know what he wants. Even if you don't believe all that. Believe an old 60 year old who look. I've messed up enough for both of us. I really have. And life is done best his way. Hmm. Some sad faces. I'm pleading with you. I really am pleading with you. You can, look, imprint this face in your, in your head. Do I want to look like him when I'm 60? Mary doesn't. <laughs> Amen.